Chapter Fifteen of the Harbor of Doubt. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Roger Moline. The Harbor of Doubt by Frank Williams. Chapter Fifteen, The Catch of the Roseanne. At the forecastle head of the Roseanne stood a youth tolling the ship's bell. The windlass grunted and whined as the schooner came up on her hawser with a thump, and overhead a useless jib slatted and rattled. The youth could scarcely see aft of the foremast because of the thickness of the weather, but he could hear what was going on. There was a thump, a slimy slapping of wet fish, and a voice counting monotonously as its owner forked his forenoon's catch into the pen amidships. Forty-nine, said the voice. All right, boys, swing her in. And a moment later the dory, hauled high, dropped down into her nest. Immediately there was a slight bump against the side of the schooner, and the slapping and counting would begin again. Eighty-seven, and high line at that said the next man. I'll bet that's the only halibut on the banks, and he's two hundred if he's an ounce. The great flat fish was raised to the deck by means of the topping hall that swung in the dories. By Jonah Tanner, who stood by the pen watching the silver stream as it flowed over the side into the pen, mussed his beard and shook his head. The fish were fair, but not what should be expected at this time of year. He would sail along to another favorable anchorage. This was his first day on the banks, and two days after Nellie's discovery of Elsa's packet. It was only noon, but Bijona was speculating, and when he saw the fog bank coming, he refused to run any risk with his men, and recalled them to the schooner by firing his shotgun until they all replied to the signal by raising one oar upright. It must not be thought that it was the fog that induced Bijonah to do this. Dorymen almost always fish when a fog comes down, and trust to their good fortune in finding the schooner. Bijonah wanted to look over the morning's catch and get in tune with the millions under his keel. By the time the last dory was in, the pile of fish in the pen looked like a heap of molten silver. The men stretched themselves after their cramped quarters and greeted the cook's announcement with delight. "'You fellers fix tables for dressin' down while the fust half mugs up,' said Tanner. "'Everybody lively now. I calculate to move just a little bit. The bottom here don't suit me yet.' He went down from the poop and walked the deck, listening between clangings of the bell for any sound of an approaching vessel. The crew worked swiftly at dressing and salting the catch. "'Haul up anchor,' he ordered when the work was done. The watch laid hold the windlass poles and hauled the vessel forward directly above her hook. Then there was a concerted heave and the ground tackle broke loose and came up with a rush. Under headsails and riding sail, the Roseanne swung into the light air that stirred the fog and began to crawl forward, 
while the men were still cat-heading the anchor. The youth who had been ringing the bell now substituted the patent foghorn, as marine law requires when vessels are under way. With his eyes on the compass, Turner guided the ship himself. They seemed to move through an endless gray world. For an hour they sailed, the only sounds being the flap of the canvas, the creaking of the tiller ropes, and the drip of the fog. Tanner was about to give the word to let go the anchor when, without warning, they suddenly burst clear of the fog and came out into the vast gray welter of the open sea. Tanner suddenly straightened up, and slipping the wheel swiftly into the becket, he ran to the taffrail and looked over the side. "'Good God!' he cried. "'What's this?' Not fifty feet away lay a blue dory, heavy and loggy with water, and in the bottom the unconscious figure of a man. A second look at the face of the man, and Tanner cried, "'Wheelin' and Markle, overside with the starboard dory. Here's Code Schofield adrift. Lively now!' There was a rush aft, but Tanner met the crew and drove them to the nested boats amidships. "'Over, I say!' he roared. The men obeyed him, and Wheelan and Markle were soon pulling madly to the blue dory astern. When they reached it, one man clambered to the bow and cut the drag rope that Code, in his extremity, had thrown over nearly two days before. Then, fastening the short painter to a thwart on their own craft, they hauled the blue dory and its contents alongside the Roseanne. Code Schofield lay with his eyes closed, pale as wax, and seemingly dead. In his right hand, he still gripped convulsively the bailing can he had used until consciousness left him. Man, boat, and all, the dory was hauled up and let gently down on the deck. Then the eager hands lifted Schofield from the water and laid him on the oiled boards. "'Take him into my cabin,' ordered Tanner. "'Johnson, bring hot water and rags. "'Cookie, make some strong soup. "'If there's any life in him, we'll bring it back. "'On the jump there.' "'Well,' said one man, when Code had been carried below, "'I thought my halibut was high line today, "'but the skipper beat me out in the end.' End of chapter 15 Recording by Roger Moline